The Rwando Podcast is an exploration of the unconscious and the game of life. Be sure to visit Rwando.com to get a preview chapter of my upcoming book, Infinite Play, and free access to my content library. Enjoy the show. It is Saturday morning. Uh, Saturday, 7.15 for me. I've uh, been waking up earlier, partly because I've wanted to wake up earlier. It's more... uh, something feels good about waking up with the sun or before the sun and also thinking like nothing productive ever happens for me at least after 9 p.m. So I've been uh, and also something I did last weekend kind of relates to to waking up early but I'll get into that later. Uh, As I mentioned in another episode they're building a meditation center right behind my place which is a really nice thing it'd be nice to live next to a meditation center but they've been jackhammering every day at 8 a.m. sharp so I've had to, uh, yeah, if I want to record, I have to do it earlier. Uh, if anyone's wondering, yes, the background behind me has changed yet again. Uh, I took down the blacks, the black uh, African arts. I love the way it looks, but yeah, I had to admit it doesn't go along with uh, the other colors behind me. Actually, I don't know if anybody cares. And if you're listening to this uh, and not watching the video, like good boys and girls, you definitely don't care. But uh, I ordered a bunch of black sound panels that should come in to... Uh, back to my favorite color which is black today's episode uh working title is five and a half maxims for life these are it's basically my personal morality which i codified last weekend um and i'm going to share them obviously with you they may or may not be your morality but if you do care to listen to the show we probably have certain values in common uh, I'm going to share with you these kind of rules or maxims that I came up with with a friend that are kind of guiding principles for making major life decisions. Uh, they're my personal ones. I'm not saying they're yours, of course, but kind of uh, maybe meta message of this episode is how you can create your own personal morality or I'm giving an example of creating a personal morality. In some ways, this is the opposite of the, not the opposite, but um, the other side of the Breaking Social Constructions of Reality episode. That was more about getting out of other people's moral frameworks. This is about creating your own. Um, before we jump in, two quick announcements. One's pretty random, um, but I, Nalaya actually was uh, contacted by this uh, African herbal supplement company. It's an herbal supplement company, it happens to be in Africa, but they use these African herbs uh, they're kind of being marketed aphrodisiacs. I think there's other benefits to them. So anyway, they sent us some samples. We've been trying them. Uh, anyway, my I'm making a request because I've been looking at and speaking to different potential sponsors of the podcast. Uh, I don't want to shill something that I don't believe in or um, isn't useful to my audience. I've been trying these herbs. They seem. They mean they seem to work. Um, but I'm curious to see other people's um, uh, feedback on it. So if you're listening to this show, um, basically what I'm asking is if anyone is interested in trying these herbal supplements that have been marketed as an aphrodisiac and have other benefits, um, I could probably ask the supplier to deliver them or ship them to you at cost. What I ask is that you send me some feedback and see if you like it. And I'm only going to promote it on this show if I get positive feedback from people. No pressure, I mean, I don't, I don't care. Um, so if you're interested in that, I could probably do this for a few people. You can email me at hello at ruando.com and I'll see about sending you um, the sample and you can tell me what you think. And if enough people like it, I may start having a sponsor for this show. Uh, the other announcement is that if you're in the Masculine Underground group or if you're a guy who wants to be, we are running a men's group this Sunday in the Masculine Underground Facebook group 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It's the first shot at this, uh, so we'll see how it goes. We're going to use Facebook Meeting Rooms. It'll be my first time. So it'll be a men's group. If you don't know what men's group is, it's a essentially a group discussion for everyone's betterment. I have a structure. I, I ran men's groups in New York for many years. There's a structure I use that I think is very uh, useful, uh, makes it a very fun uh, and fulfilling for everyone and on point. So if you're interested in that, I uh, just get on the Mask and Underground group at around 8.55 or a little bit before 9 a.m. on Sunday, Eastern Time, U.S. Eastern Time. You should get a notification that I'm starting a meeting room and then you can just hop in. We're going to limit it to some number of people. I, I don't imagine we'll have more than 10 people. I wouldn't want more than 10 people. It would get too noisy. Um, I'm going to shut it off at seven, or excuse me, at 9.05. So we're not going to have latecomers. 
So check that out. Just be online, be on Facebook a little bit before 9 a.m. Sunday. All right. So last weekend, uh, if you follow me on Instagram uh, or if you just caught the last ep- like the episode of a, a bit ago, uh, last week I spoke about doing a David Goggins inspired challenge, a four by four by 48 challenge. The way David Goggins does it is uh, he runs four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Uh, Buddy and I tried it. We didn't, we decided to switch to kilometers. Neither of us have run in many years. And I actually, personally, I thought I would never be able to run again because I messed up both of my knees pretty bad during a Spartan race, like three or four years ago. And I haven't been able to run. Like my knees like swell up real quick, specifically my right one. Um, But when I was down in the islands last month, I was training in locomotion with this guy, Uh, actually Ivan Zorich, uh, shout out to him. He's been on the podcast before, teaches natural movement. And he was working on my gait and how I was standing. And I actually want to see if I could actually run for the first time. Uh, Long story short, I can't run. (laughs) My knee swelled up again. But the challenge was still useful because my buddy and I still walked four kilometers every four hours or 48 hours. So it was kind of, uh, it was like a sleep deprivation challenge. It was, it was still a, a physical challenge. I didn't think walking would be tiring, but walking without getting a full night's sleep. We did walk 48 kilometers over 48 hours, so it is quite a bit of walking. And my knee swelled up anyway, um, even without running much. Um, I did run one leg, and, and it doesn't matter. My, my knee swelled up, I, I wasn't able to run further. But it was very fulfilling. If you have a friend who is into growth or challenges as a man or you feel like you've been getting soft but you don't want to do something super crazy i highly highly recommend it i found it very rewarding uh, physically mentally just the fact that we did this challenging thing and completed it was useful but there were some side benefits that i wasn't expecting that were also very cool um we've spoken about honor and male bonding on an abstract level a few times on this podcast there was something about the fact that it really sucked. Like after the first 24 hours, especially, you know, if we're running every four hours, you can't get a full, uh, full duration of sleep that most of us are used to. So it really, it was really uncomfortable. It wasn't like the worst thing in the world. It wasn't like going to war. It was very uncomfortable. And there's something in terms of like, especially at like the 4 a.m. wake ups. The only thing that really kept me doing it was the expectation that my friend was also expecting me to do it. And same thing, vice versa. And like, you know, honestly, if, if I was trying to do this on my own, I probably I would have been very highly tempted to give up, at, especially at 4 a.m. So there's a bit of honor there. Um, there's also something about suffering together. It was like, there's a dual expectation, but also the fact that we actually endured it together. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, right? It wasn't like going to war together. But given that, you know, we're, you know, we live fairly comfortable lives. I'm sure most of you, uh, relative to male existence throughout history, live a fairly comfortable life, even if you're not, you don't think of yourself as a luxurious person. Uh, so doing something like this willfully, I found very rewarding. And then there's something about the male bonding aspect. We did have a lot of great philosophical discussions through our 48 kilometers of walking, some of which is the meat of this episode. But there's something about suffering together because there's a line in my favorite book, Shantaram, which I've been quoting a lot lately. I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was something like, like men build intimacy not through the laughs they share, but through the suffering they share. I, I, I'm not getting the words exactly right, but there's something about like when you deal with shit with other men, you develop this real respect. So did we do anything that serious? Of course not. But on some level, and I don't mean to over-dramatize over it, I feel like I can trust him when shit goes down. And he, I believe he can trust me because of the fact we actually stuck to our word through this discomfort. Uh, but the other thing with this uh, is we ended up having a lot of discussion since we were walking. We ended up speaking a lot over four. I mean, we walked for many. It took us maybe an hour. It doesn't matter. A lot of philosophical discussion. We spoke about uh, relationships and family and legacy and life purpose and stuff. And towards the last day or the last couple of walks, we started like our, our ideas kind of coalesced into um, essentially a moral framework. So I spoke about this in the in the social constructions episode. Um, morality exists to get a bunch of disparate people, disparate identities to coalesce into something. Right. 
And in that episode, we spoke about it mostly from a negative lens, right? If you're born into a culture that doesn't fit your individual purpose, you're born to a family or your social circle, or you've outgrown your friends and you want to go in one direction, but they're all like the crabs in the barrel trying to stay one way, it can be very limiting, right? It's like, it's a very challenging thing to try to greatly grow as a person directly against the norms of whatever group that you consider normal, your reference group. But ultimately you can't go through, I mean, not that you can't, but it's not that, uh, it's not that useful to go through your entire life just floating around without any social reality. Like, you know, you've heard this in other settings, people need tribe and actually not just for whatever social needs we have or whatever soft stuff, but when we speak about the king archetype, for, for instance, like becoming the master of your domain, whatever that is, whether it's your home or your immediate family or your business or whatever it is, like to be king of your reality, uh, it helps to have people who agree with that reality. I mean, you can be, you know, it's, it's actually funny, we were um, through our many walks, we walked at uh, midnight, 4 a.m., 8 a.m., you know, every four hours for 48 hours, and we would see the same street dogs, there's a lot of street dogs in Thailand, I began to start to recognize different dogs and there was one dog in particular that I thought was really cool even though he was kind of a dick to us the first couple times and he was kind of the alpha dog of not only our neighborhood but like many neighborhoods because every walk we would walk in a different direction and we would see this dog almost every, like not every time but like many different times um, and it was like oh this is the alpha dog of like this entire section of Chiang Mai which was kind of cool and like he would kind of bark at us and growl at us at first um, the third or fourth time we saw him, it happened to be during the day, uh, he came over and licked me. I guess that was his way of being like, okay, you guys have safe passage, you guys are cool. Um, but then there were these other dogs, <clears throat> who were also male dogs, who looked like maybe at some point in their lives when they were younger, maybe could have been an alpha dog or could have been a contender for the king of the neighborhood. But they, were, but they never left their little patch. Like there were some dogs that only stayed on this one street. And there were some dogs that looked like they, you know, they were a little out of shape they were only on like this one little patch of sidewalk like that was their little domain it's like every every male tries to carve out the little domain that they that they're uncontested in even if they can't make it huge right we do the same thing with reality right most of us don't care about the lines on the map unless you're uh, unless you're a world leader but for us we do this with our with our reality and it's important that at some point in your life when you transition from the exploring warrior who's like just trying to take in stuff and and take on challenges without owning anything without uh claim it without planting his flag anywhere just adventuring the wandering um ranger at some point it's a natural progression to want to plant your flag put up your walls define these are your boundaries for what is yours and cultivate it whether that means having a business uh raising a family physically building something so both he and I are kind of in that same life stage where we're settling down, uh, looking at children in the near future. And this is why creating a moral framework for yourself is important. And I see this a lot of as like kind of an error in a lot of guys of my generation, the millennials, where like we kind of, a lot of us have taken on this freedom of expression thing, which is really important when you're young, like that liberal philosophy of trying on a lot of things and like not attaching to anything and like this ultimate open mind. I'm not saying you shouldn't have an open mind. Please have an open mind. But at some point you have to stop going into like this divergent part of the diamond and, and then switch to convergent because if you don't go convergent, you're never going to like sharpen anything, right? You're going to just be in the realm of infinite possibilities. At some point you have to collapse the wave function and pick, okay, this is the thing I'm committed to because you're not going to live forever and you're certainly not going to be young forever. This is not necessarily just a youth thing. I mean, uh, I think most of us, if our life plan glows the way that we basically intend, we're divergent when we're young and then we pick what we like and converge when we're old. But you know, if you, let's say, got married really young or were really conservative when you're young and you get divorced and you're like, okay, now I'm back into a divergent stage. I'm not trying to knock anyone who's maybe like on the dating scene for the first time in, you know, as an older guy or starting a new business as an older, like, you know, I'm not, you know, not trying to be an ageist or anything. But that's typically how it goes, right? Divergence when young is the whole diamond theory thing. So it's important to draw your lines on the map, define the hills that you're willing to die on, define the values that you're willing to fight for, because without that, it becomes very hard to make major life decisions, which is kind of the root of this episode. Um, and just to, to nail this home, 
uh, if you really want to define your territory, you can't be alone in it, right? It's, uh, it's very fulfilling. And the internet has allowed this where we can connect with people who share our values from without being uh, limited by location. Uh, it's important to find people that think like you. Otherwise, you're going to feel crazy. If you're the only person that perceives a certain value a certain way or perceives a certain thing that should be good or should be normal and everyone else thinks you're crazy, you're going to eventually feel crazy. Um, so anyway, here are five and a half maxims that I'm choosing to live my life with. Again, this might not be yours, but I'm obviously sharing them because I think it'd be useful uh, and perhaps you'd like it. So the first one, The first one deals with relationships. And this is something I mentioned or shared uh, in the Lover Archetype episode, which is in intimacy, more polarity is always good unless it's harming the connection. Uh, the general rule of thumb is in an intimate relationship, always increase polarity. There are very few times in an intimate relationship where there's any benefit to having less polarity, right? Otherwise, you become roommates. Someone started a thread on this in the Masculine Underground group, like on wearing the pants. I'm not saying that men should necessarily have to be a certain way or women have to be a certain way. But if you're a guy who likes, who's attracted to feminine women, for, let's, for example, or if you like it when your girlfriend is in her feminine and taking on those feminine behaviors, then it's on you to polarize and be masculine. If you can handle all the masculine traits really well, it gives her the safety to be in her feminine and then you have that, that, uh, that polar tension. Uh, relationships that have this, unless they're huge dicks to each other, typically have good sex lives. Um, as opposed to you know, a couple that gets along really well, but they're both doing the same thing, they basically become the same person and therefore there's no sexual attraction. Uh, my friend actually kind of expanded this beyond the relationship and said polarity is always good between sexes unless there's a negative outcome to it. And he was, you know, saying like, well, outside of your just interacting with your girlfriend or someone you want to sleep with, you know, there's a benefit to having some sort of polarity between yourself and a female friend or, you know, if you're a guy um, or uh, yourself and your even female, maybe even female relatives to a degree. Um, your your buddy's girlfriends or your girlfriend's friends like there's there's often a benefit and I, I didn't notice it myself I I especially since uh, the la in the last couple of years especially since I left one taste where like sexuality kind of got mixed in with everything kind of in my subconscious I've noticed that when I want to be friends with a woman who I don't want to lead on or approach sexually I kind of depolarize which is kind of maybe a bad habit of mine after speaking with my friend about this, I was like, oh yeah, that's actually not useful, right? Like it doesn't help the, uh, it doesn't help the interaction to, to be depolarized between a man and a woman, even if you just want to be friends. But of course, there's a, there's a limit. And I would actually, to make this a little more clear, to make it a very clear maxim that doesn't require a lot of nuance, I would make the rule that to the degree that you want to be intimate with a given person of the opposite gender, you should be polar. So with your girlfriend, your, your wife, your life partner, you, you want to maximize that polarity unless it's somehow harming your relationship, right? Like, you don't want to go Stanley Kowalski and beat your wife necessarily. I mean, that would be polarity with a negative outcome. But for the most part, I mean, other than, other than harming someone, there's always a benefit to increasing polarity. It'll always make things uh, more connected, sexier. It'll make you feel better. It'll make her feel better. But with someone that you know is a female friend or your friend's girlfriend or maybe a female relative or an old lady, like you don't want to be that intimate, you polarize the level of intimacy. We, I have a friend here uh, who's really good at this. Like he can flirt in a way that's totally not um, not threatening. You know, like he'll he'll make women laugh, and he, it's obvious that he's not trying to like flirt, like you know, get in with them or get them to be attracted to him. But it's just his way of being, and it creates a lot of fun. Anyway, this is just a general rule, and I've noticed this in this last week at least. I've been putting some attention on how I speak to women that I'm not sexually connected to. I mean, I'm monogamous with my girlfriend. Like, I, uh, yeah, and it's actually just made our interactions more fun in small ways. Maxim two through four uh, 
and something my friend came up with, and I think it mostly applies to work. So maximum one is in intimacy or in relationships, always increase polarity or increase polarity. Uh, maximums two through four is that in work, you should make your decisions to optimize focus, mood, and energy. So we'll go through each, each one of these things uh, individually, but these three kind of all apply to work and not just in your business work or your money generation work, but in like in how you spend your time and effect in reality. Because, you know, and I think this is a good, these, these are quality metrics to optimize for because when you optimize for certain other things that, you know, that a lot of people just assume are the things you should optimize for, like money or this abstract idea of productivity. When we do that, we don't take into account the costs or the opportunity, not just opportunity costs, but the negative uh, externalities of certain actions. So for example, the obvious one would be, you know, obviously most people would rather have more money than less money, right? Money in itself is kind of built to be a, an always scarce resource in the sense that, you know, you never get full on money. Like with food, uh, if, you are, if you're malnourished, obviously more food is better. At a certain point, there's a diminishing return where you're now nourished, you're satiated, and more food might not necessarily be better. It might be neutral because it still tastes good, but it's now not adding to your health, it's taking away from your health. Of course, if you keep doing that, there's a point where uh, you know, you're fat, you're super overweight, you're still stuffing your face, and the negative effect on your body and how you feel about yourself greatly outweighs whatever mouth pleasure you get, right? That obviously is going too far. So food, it's very obvious when food becomes too much. Money doesn't actually really become too much because, you know, having, you know, adding a zero to your bank account by itself isn't going to make your, your life worse. But what is the input that requires, the, what is the input required to 10x that, you know, add that zero? It might be worth it, right? But it might be not worth it, right? Like if you're going from 50 hours of working a week to 120 hours of working a week, for most people, even if you double your, your salary, that might that's likely a net, a net negative, right? If you don't get to spend any time with your family, if you don't have to, get to have any other hobbies, if you're not sleeping well, if, you're, if your hormones are out of whack because you're so stressed, like that's, I mean, that's probably not worth double the money, unless you have almost no money, in which case maybe it's worth, uh, worth the sacrifice. So we wanna optimize, and we also spoke about this in the uh, Ambition Aliveness episode, where I myself was kind of messing up my goals, especially around fitness and sometimes about, around work because with like weightlifting, I would pick a number. It's like, oh, I wanna increase my deadlift by 10% and I would do everything around increasing my deadlift and then I would end up getting hurting my back or hurting something else because I wasn't, I wasn't considering the other important metrics of how my body feels and whether or not I'm healthy and whether or not my joints are okay. So whether you choose these three things, focus, mood, and energy, you want to pick metrics when you're making your life decisions, when you're making your, your scheduling plans or like your programming, whatever it is for exercise, for work, for life, for developing a skill. You don't want to pick abstract qualities to optimize for. Maybe it's important. Obviously, you start a business to make money or it's one of the primary drivers. Um, but it's important to pick a metric that will actually, or at least uh, have in mind metrics that will show you when... Um, they won't come with negative externalities. So anyway, we'll go through each one of these things because abstract quantities don't have inbred satiation signals, right? Uh, your bank account's not going to tell you, oh, hold on, you're actually going to, you're actually losing something by trying to add another couple hundred bucks to this this uh, this quantity. Um, so this first one is focus, right? Focus is uh, essentially this is cultivating attention. If we think of attention as a currency. This is one of the primary uh, focuses, uh, foci of the masculine archetype challenge. Like our first couple lessons, really focus on uh, cultivating focus or cultivating attention, because your attention span, as I speak about in the challenge, is is the raw material. I mean, it's, in a sense, it's the masculine raw material for creativity. I mean, we we know this. Anyone knows this, right? Like, if you're constantly flooded with media, uh, it's hard to think clearly. Um, the most creative ideas come in moments of silence when you actually, you know, stop filling your brain space. And like to actually continue this food analogy, most media that is thrown at you are empty calories, right? It takes up space in your brain stomach, if you will, but it doesn't actually nourish you, right? Like you think about, I mean, I, I've been kind of on this, uh, 
uh, rant against social media lately, but you know, when's the, what's the last time like your Facebook scrolling or Instagram scrolling really benefited you? Like really benefited? Yeah, of course you could pick like, oh yeah, that that article I saw was pretty interesting, or I didn't know this was happening, or I found this tip. But like, you could have probably found that other ways. And how much time was scrolling? How much did that take up space in your in your brain? Like, you know, uh, a donut has some probably I don't know if it's true, but donuts have some level of uh, macronutrients, right? Uh, a donut might have some protein. You're like, oh, well, donuts have protein, yeah, but it's full of other shit, and it takes up space in your brain that doesn't allow you to eat healthy food or takes take up space in your stomach rather. So, the thing with focus, like one of the the most obvious things and for anybody who cares about having clear thoughts and good ideas and high value quality high ROI ideas you got to cut out your, your empty calorie media you want to be taking in nutrient-dense media which to, for me is high attention span media so books by people you actually want whose thoughts you actually want to hear podcasts of people whose thoughts you actually want to hear not just anybody you know like and then you know this is kind of the switch also between you know in creating your own reality where uh, social media is kind of built around slave morality. It's kind of built around let's take in everyone. Everyone's, you know, everyone's voice is equally useful. And I'm not saying that people's voices should not be heard by someone, but I'm talking about your, your subjective perception. Do you really want to listen to what everyone has to say? Are they actually going to bring value to, to you? I mean, maybe when you're young, you want to, again, at a certain point in your life, maybe you want to explore every kind of idea, you know, but, it, you know, Liberal, liberality is important when you're young. But at some point you're like, okay, I have my values. I know what I want to go deep in, or I have the things I know I'm interested in. I, I, I know the things that are, reminent, uh, are resonant to me, my skills, my interests, my proclivities. I want to go deep on those things because knowing a little bit of everything, especially things that maybe even be like counter, counter, uh, counterproductive ideas or things like that, they're not useful. So don't, don't, waste your, don't waste your attention on brain donuts, essentially. Uh, useful tips here. I mean, obvious tips are like phones off in the morning. Um, that's been a big thing uh, for me. You know, phones just are designed to suck up your attention span, social media especially. And this is something. Uh, this next bit is from um, Cal Newport. Uh, finding maker time blocks. Now, you might not be someone who thinks of himself or herself as a creative person, right? Like if you, you might not write long form. You, most, most people don't write beyond a Facebook post in terms of uh, length. Um, you might have a job where, you know, you're a laborer and like maybe you don't think that your, your ideas matter so much for quality of life. I would greatly challenge that idea because, you know, one of the things, one of the you know, main processes in the archetype challenge is basically giving yourself a lot of uh, space and inspiration to basically hear your own intuitive ideas. And a lot of guys, you know, we have we've had guys who are construction workers uh, take the program. You know, uh, you know, drivers of, of different. I mean, things that uh, you know, jobs where you don't they don't think they need their mind so much. And by doing some of these exercises, where they get to cultivate a higher attention span and really go introspective and listen to their thoughts, you know, you'll be surprised of what ideas come to you. Like I had this one guy, uh, he, he's a manager at a construction firm and for a long time he was like, you know, really upset with his relationship. He did some of these exercises like to really focus on going high attention span, really listen to his thoughts. And he found some very clear clarity pretty quickly about his marriage. He's like, Oh shit, I should have divorced my wife X number of, amount of time ago and became very clear to him and he didn't and you know those prior those prior years he'd been clouding his mind with all this media and he couldn't hear the obvious truth and he was like I can't believe it took me this long to realize this because he never gave himself the space to think clearly this is a sense this is essentially the creative process it might not be for creating arts but it's also for creating your life uh, a la magician archetype solving any good problems and essentially we're in a war for attention I think I think I made my point here the next piece of this is mood. So this is kind of my mystical view, my quasi-mystical view, but if attention is the masculine raw material for creativity, then mood is the feminine, right? It's, it's uh, uh, attention is mind down, uh, mood is coming from your, your feelings. And actually, I've been reading this really interesting book uh, lately. I'm hopefully gonna have the um, author on the podcast 
It's called The Hour of Wolf and Dog. It's by this guy, John Coates, who uh, was a Wall Street trader, became a neuroscientist, and he ran a bunch of studies that are now famous and a bit controversial around testosterone and the market. And there's some stats that I think I've mentioned in other episodes about how you can often predict the success of a day trader based on his serum level testosterone uh, that morning. His, uh, yeah, his serum testosterone levels that morning. Uh, something about testosterone, uh, testosterone associated with winning. We probably talked about this in the winner effect episode. There's also other metrics like uh, how much testosterone exposure um, a person has when they're in the womb determines certain um, masculine behaviors, including uh, their appetite for risk as an adult. Um, anyway, I, I picked up this book to like go deeper on his studies because I'm using uh, his studies. I'm referencing his studies in my um, my history podcast on the history of masculinity should be out later this year. Uh, and but it was just a bunch of stuff in the book that I found really fascinating. One is about mood and how um, a lot of people think that uh, mood is in some way conscious. Like right, we see something happen in an event. It makes us feel a certain way and then we interpret it. But he was actually saying that that's not actually how our nervous system works because we'll often see an event. Our, the whole reason why we have a brain, uh, this might be a bit of too much of a tangent, but when we see an event, our muscles actually react to it uh, long before our brain does. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think it's like our muscles can react to a threat within like 30 milliseconds, which is way faster than our, our conscious mind can process an event. So like, if you ever notice like your body tenses and then you're like, oh, what did I tense about? Oh, it's this thing. That's essentially the process. Your emotions are, uh, move a little bit faster than your conscious perception, but your emotions are also slower than your muscles. So like, let's say there's a threat, your muscles react in 30 milliseconds, but then your organs or your, your visceral nervous system rather, which is attached to your organs, uh, has a reaction of producing different uh, hormones, uh, and that's what uh, signals to your conscious mind what your emotions should be. This is all, I, may, I might do another episode on that, but this is all to say that uh, your mood is tied to your hormones, which may be something everyone knew before. So this, this whole thing, and the reason why my friend brought up this metric, this, uh, this second maxim or thing to, to optimize your life around, is mood, which is that, of course, we know that if your mood is shitty, your quality of output, your quality of engaging with the world is worse. In the, in the book, Our and Wolf and Dog, he defines mood as uh, an ongoing set of emotions, like a persistent emotions that uh, filter reality in a certain way. I don't know if you use the word reality, but something like that. Uh, if, you, you know, if, you, if you basically get stuck in an emotion, let's say a general emotion like negativity, everything that you perceive, uh, you filter as a little bit worse. You cannot take as good action. Um, your creative ideas might seem futile. I mean, if you're a writer or if you're a creative person, or if you tried to be a creative person, you may have noticed like when you feel shitty, uh, it's kind of hard to take your ideas seriously. Like it's really hard to be like, oh, that's a good idea. This is great when you feel crappy. On the flip side though too, when you come up with a good idea from having quality attention, it typically uplifts your mood because what are we in this reality for other than to entertain ourselves on some level? On the most basic level, mood can, be, can come down into two, uh, two categories, contraction or expansion, kind of like the fear and love thing that you, you see in a lot of, in, in Donnie Darko or other like self-help things. Uh, we spoke about this in Prometheus Rising, in the Prometheus Rising episode, um, circuit one, our most primal circuit associated with our reptilian nervous system. It's the, it's the circuit that is already developed when we're born. It's a one-dimensional circuit, right? It either opens to take in something good like nourishment, like breast milk, or it closes to get away from something that'll eat us, right? Most of our emotions, almost all of our emotions are based in this primal survival circuit. Because it's not, it's not fair to say like, you need, uh, well, in my interpretation at least, uh, optimizing for a mood doesn't mean always being happy necessarily. It might be, but like, uh, if you're if you're trying to be happy all the time, and there's something you got to deal with, or like you know, I'll give a common social example. You have a problem with somebody, maybe a friend or a coworker or whatever, uh, and confronting them 
would obviously make you probably not happy, would make them probably not happy. A lot of people use this as justification to avoid confrontation. But the, the, the net effect is that you end, up being, you end up feeling really shitty over the long term. That'll probably harm the relationship more. There's a, you can't possibly be connected or intimate with someone who you have this resentment at. It's actually a lot more useful. It's a lot healthier for your emotions and probably for the relationship of the person for you to tell the truth and be willing to deal with the negative, uh, the uncomfortable conversation, let's say. Optimizing for mood, in my interpretation, means being true to expressing what mood needs to be expressed, which, which uh, I mean, I'll even simplify further, which means going for that expansive feeling. Because when we think about, um, when we think about different emotions, even emotions that most people consider negative, let's say anger and sadness, they are not necessarily contracted emotions, right? If you are angry without action, that'll typically cause you to contract. If you are sad, but you're suppressing it, that is contraction. But sometimes you need to cry. Sometimes it's actually, it feels actually expansive and good to express your anger. And you know, this, uh, this is kind of the whole predator and prey archetype thing, right? If you're, you're expressing anger in a, in a resentful, like, oh, this person is uh, like controlling my life, it's kind of slave morality stuff. Uh, you're basically entering prey mode. You're, you're assuming that there's something beyond you that controls your reality or dictates uh, your, your causes and effects. So you go into prey mode, and as we spoke about in the predator and prey episode, that actually depresses your hormones. Prey animals are not healthy hormonally. They, they, like their adrenaline to noradrenaline ratios are such that it's not, it's not very good. It's not, I would imagine it's not very pleasant to be a rabbit who's constantly being chased, as opposed to a predator animal who has a, a very different adrenaline to noradrenaline ratio. The lion is essentially in ma a master morality all the time because the, a lion is an apex predator. A lion knows, so whatever level of consciousness a lion has, knows that he or she is in charge of his reality. If he eats or doesn't eat, it's on him, right? It's not about what some other animal does. Um, so that's kind of, I mean, it's just a healthier way to be. So optimizing for mood is not necessarily sustaining a good mood, but having a long-term uh, expansive mood effect, right? It could mean getting angry. It could mean getting sad. It could mean having these other emotions that people shy away from, but not contracting around it. So it's like, how do you organize your life? How do you make your major long-term decisions or your moment-to-moment -moment decisions on how, how can I ensure that I have an expansive emotions, essentially? How can I uh, essentially welcome reality with that open aperture, that open circuit one, rather than contracting and resisting reality? Because it doesn't matter what the circumstances of your life are, if you're contracted and resisting, you're not gonna have a, a positive uh, subjective experience. So with social decisions, with health decisions, I've uh, modified my coffee use because even though coffee does improve my focus, mood, and energy, it is, uh, there are certainly diminishing returns at a certain level of coffee. It, it definitely is not good for my adrenal glands. So making decisions based on that. The next maxim, the next uh, metric we could say is uh, optimizing for energy. Very related to mood. Energy in the physics sense is the ability to do work, ability to affect reality, to do things in the material world. Um, and it also may be in the immaterial world, you know, coming up with ideas is also work. And, you know, this should be also a, um, an easy thing to think about. We spoke about this again in the ambition aliveness episode of our ambition acceptance episode where I shared that my personal maxim, I guess, for overcoming this dilemma of like, should I push and put in more effort, go hard David Goggins style, or should I relax and accept and uh, give myself time to recuperate? You know, moment to moment, it can be different of what the right thing is. But actually, if you just take a moment in that, in that specific instance and think, which action will increase my feeling of aliveness? Is it rest or is it pushing harder? I have found that the answer becomes pretty obvious, right? Sometimes it means pushing harder. Sometimes it means not. Last night, so I got up at I got up at five to prepare for this at seven this morning. But I actually planned on doing this last night at seven p.m. because that just seemed like a more sensical time to record this. I don't know why. It made a lot of sense for my calendar to record this at seven p.m. But for whatever reason, 
I just was not feeling alive. Like the whole idea of like recording at seven just kind of was making me feel a little bit depressed or a little bit contracted. And I was like, well, this is obviously not good for my energy. I don't know why it makes sense for me to do this at 7 a.m. rather than 7 p.m., but this is what it is. Even though it's uncomfortable, something about it makes me feel more alive, gives me a little bit more energy. So again, it could be nutrition decisions, scheduling decisions, taking more breaks. It's, uh, it's moment to moment, but this is why this maxim is useful. The final maxim, the final thing to optimize for is negative entropy, negative entropy. And this is, you know, if the first, uh, first one uh, mainly uh, focuses on intimacy, optimizing for polarity, two, three, four uh, is, or, you know, I guess we could lump them together, uh, uh, optimizing for focus, mood, and energy regards mostly work. This last piece uh, is the big picture. In life, optimize for negative entropy. And, and what is negative entropy? So entropy, of course, is the uh, is randomness. And uh, if you remember the second law of thermodynamics, I think it's the second law. Uh, entropy is entropy of an entire system is always increasing. The entire universe is becoming more and more random, more and more entropic. But I mean, when it comes to physical matter. But there is an aspect of reality that is constantly becoming less entropic, uh, constantly moving towards higher complexity and less randomness, and that is life. In the book Shantaram, which I mentioned earlier, uh, which is my favorite, my favorite fucking book, uh, the mentor character in that book shares his theory of morality and and God and, and stuff like that, and basically he said. Uh, the universe is moving, I mean, he was speaking about some part of the universe, so we'll say life. Life is constantly moving to more and more complexity. You know, if you think about the very first replicating bits of matter that became the first organisms, that became the first multicellular organisms, and so on, you know how evolution works. It's constantly getting more and more complex, and humans, humans are themselves making the world more and more complex, and our ideas are getting more and more complex, and singularity and all that stuff. Like, life is constantly moving towards higher and higher complexity towards some some level of infinite complexity the character in that book uh Kader Bai, uh Kader khan calls that infinite complexity god so in his religion in his uh worldview in his morality anything that guides you towards infinite complexity is good anything that reduces it or slows down that progression that evolution to infinite complexity is bad so how i've adopted this and this, uh, I mentioned in the Magician Archetype as well, that if you, if you just take on this idea, just, just for fun at least, and you think that, okay, all of reality, or we should say all of life is moving towards more and more complexity, there's a certain part of life that you can control as an individual, whoever you are. That is your life, or there is, that is your immediate uh, touch, your, your immediate slice of this piece of space-time. You know, for the years that you're alive, for the amount of space that you take up in the world, you can affect that, right? Whether it's your being, whether it's your doing, whatever, right? Your role, if there is like a spiritual role, and I guess I am turning this into moral code, is to maximize the complexity of your slice of uh, space-time. And essentially this is what Jung called individuation, right? It's, if you think of life as an RPG, it's you maxing out your stats. Because as, uh, as Stephen Pressfield spoke about in The War of Art, we are not born as blank slates. Every, each one of us are born with certain tendencies, certain interests, certain traits, right? It's like this idea that you can be anything or you can do anything is a ridiculous idea and it's ultimately on some level uh, damaging, right? Like I'm five foot six, there's no amount of effort or positive thinking that would have put me in the NBA. I mean, and, and the thing is what's cool about that or what's okay about that is that I've, I haven't had an interest in being in the NBA. So that's great, perfect, right? But there are certain things personally that I've had, I have been drawn to. Writing, for instance, doing stuff like this podcast. This happens to be my thing. I don't know why I've been drawn to this stuff, but I have. And in my moral code, if I didn't, if I, if I'm not progressing to max out my stats in this, in this uh, set of tasks, in this simulation of life, I'm kind of failing, or I'm not not failing. I'm, uh, I'm not doing my part, right? So if you don't care about this, like kind of spiritual moral uh, framework you can take the more individualistic point like the best the most amount of happiness and probably material growth 
uh, or material acquisition or opportunities or control over reality um, or, con uh, or uh, fulfillment of your character will come from maxing out your stats. Taking the things, taking your initial conditions, right? Because you were born with certain certain pros or certain strengths and weaknesses and more important than strengths and weaknesses because very often weaknesses turn into strengths it's uh focusing on the things that you happen to be interested in right interested in because if you're interested in something and you cultivate that interest you'll probably become good at it or find something in that right like you might not be the best basketball, I don't know why I'm using basketball, but you might not end up being the best basketball player, but maybe your obsession with basketball makes you the best basketball coach or something like that. Uh, so this is actually why uh, it was one of the first lessons in the archetype challenge of doing an inventory of all of your random interests, all of your proclivity, proclivities, anything that seems to be pre-conscious of like, I have no idea why I'm into this thing, but I'm into it. That's the thing. That's part of your, let's say, archetypal portfolio that you will get so much benefit out of maxing out for whatever reason, even if it's not clear how you're going to make money doing that thing or how you're going to, you know, uh, yeah, how you're going to make it productive. Like, forget about that. Like, just in that, if you just think of reality as a simulation or RPG, that is your path. That is the, the next step in the video game. Uh, yeah, so I mentioned for me, I've had these random interests and I only benefit from putting myself into them as opposed to thinking, oh, it would be very useful to get into this thing. I should get into it, but I, I, it doesn't stick, right? Um, which is why I think, you know, not that I, you know, I know anything about children or raising children, but I have my theories. I think one of the most important things, obviously there's certain skills kids need to learn and be educated on when they're young, reading, writing, etc. But beyond those, those basic things, which should be, you know, solidified, at least, you know, reading and arithmetic, let's say, should be solidified by seven, or can only really be solidified at seven, by seven. From then on until adulthood, I think the most important thing is cultivating interest because if a child is interested enough in something and sees it as, like, as, a, as a thing they're eager to do, they'll become uh, good at it. So presumably you listening are an adult and maybe you're, you've been cultivating your interests or not, but I think that's the big picture, that's the thing. You know, when it comes to the big picture life decisions, what should I do? Where should I go? It's like, what am I really interested in? And then let's see what we can do with it. Because you may or may not turn it into a career. Anyway, these pre-conscious proclivities, as I, you know, we can call them, they almost always will return positive. Will have a positive return if you put time and, and stuff into this interest. Um, so that those are the five. I mean, maybe there are three. In intimacy, always create, uh, increase polarity. In work, optimize for focus, mood, and energy. In big picture life, uh, seek to increase negative entropy or decrease entropy, let's say. And I actually turned it, I mean, I'll share this with you. Uh, it's kind of like sharing a part of my journal. I, I actually uh, tattooed this on a new notebook, or I had this printed on a new notebook, uh, Q equals BPE over S, which is kind of my nerdy physics. But Q being quality of life, B being... Um, the physics symbol for uh, magnetic fields, polarity, right? The, the stronger it is, the more attraction a charged particle, or more attraction something has in a charged particle. It says B, that's polarity. Uh, P was focus, P is power. Power is uh, how much force you can apply uh, per, per uh, how much, yeah, how, how much energy over time or how much force times velocity. Anyway, for me, it, it defines focus. And energy is uh, referring to both mood and energy. S being uh, entropy, which is why it's down there. It's inversely proportional. You decrease S, you will increase Q. So I don't know if anybody cares to see that. That was that. But I did say this. there's five and a half maxims here. The half one, the last one, is optimized for good poops. Uh, I'm not a nutrition expert, but I do find if you're having good poops, you're having a good life, I, I think. You know, I've been optimizing my eating around having good poops. And actually, I, I will admit, even though I, I went almost a month without coffee, I've gently reintroduced coffee and I enjoy it. It's actually a lot easier to be motivated to do things and write and think clearly on coffee. Obviously, coffee enhances mood, caffeine rather. Um, I do have to admit, though, it has reduced the quality of my poops. So I would imagine my digestive system is not so happy with that. So optimizing for poops is that half one. Don't have to say much more about that. 
Um, but we all know the satisfying feeling, like the primal satisfying feeling of having like a perfect consistency poop. Like it just comes out. I'm not going to describe it, but you know what? You know what a perfect poop is like. Something great about it is just like man, when you have a perfect poop, you kind of just nailed the day. When you have a perfect poop, it's like you're almost always in a good mood. You almost always have great energy levels. You know, you don't have distractions. I, you know, I think there's a lot to poop. You know, I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't know much about the gut brain other than the pop science books I read. But I think optimizing for poop, one of the best things you can do. So, uh, recapping the announcements, Sunday, Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern time, we have a men's group. If you want to be a part of the men's group, uh, be on the Masculine Underground Facebook group a little bit before 9 a.m. Eastern time. I'll probably be on at 8.55. I'm going to start it at 9, and we're going to close doors at 9.05. Um, men's group is an opportunity to connect with like-minded guys. I know especially if you're in a place with lockdown, uh, this is probably more needed than ever. And maybe other uh, places, you know, ideally this group will not be a, a hodgepodge of people in the sense of like, anyway, I'm not even get into that. Uh, finding your like people, you know, that, that's the fun. Uh, everyone will have an opportunity to share a little bit about what's going on in their life, what they're working on, what they care to talk about. We're going to have a discussion. I have a structure for discussions that make them particularly useful, in my opinion at least. We'll also have an opportunity to hone certain masculine social skills like truth-telling and speaking concisely. Um, not in like a like high-pressure learning way. It's not a workshop, but in, you know, in just in a, in a natural way. I mean my ideal for how men's groups should be run and how men should support each other is kind of like recreating the fireside chat where uh, you're just like spitting truth. You're spitting truth at the fire and everyone's sharpening their brain tools. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, that is the last kind of random thing. If you are interested in testing out these uh, African herbs that have been sent to me, um, I'm curious to get a couple people's feedback. Uh, both men and women, actually. There's a men's version and a woman's version. I've only tried the man's version. So uh, men and women who listen, feel free to reach out at hello at rwando.com. Uh, for a couple people, I can get them to send you the herbs at cost. And I just ask, to, I ask for you to share with me your feedback um, before I decide to shill this product on my podcast. And finally, the Archetype Challenge. Uh, again, still comes with a free one-on-one -on -one call, video call. Um, I might drop the video part at some point because, you know, but anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. That's available at rwando.com slash archetype. It's a great program, um, in my opinion, of course, and it comes with a free call to speak with me, which is the most cost-effective way to have a coaching call with me. So we're going to zoom out. Um, what do we have coming up? My friend Andy is coming on. Uh, he is... Yeah, he's going to come on the podcast actually tomorrow. Um, he's a bow hunter, among other things, although that's not what we're going to talk about. But there's a great analogy he came up with uh, from life, or a great metaphor, I should say, uh, from bow hunting into life, which we're, we're going to speak about. Uh, it's probably going to be called Target Panic for that episode. Um, what else we got coming up? I think that's it. Anyway, if you want more announcements, check the Facebook group. Adios. Goodbye. Sure.